Hey, Ryan here. Does your company have a commercial or industrial IoT project coming down the pipe? Reach out to Vary and let our world-class specialists in hardware, software, data science, and design bring it to life. And if you can't answer the question of, will this technology or process improvement help me make money, save money, or come up with a new business model, move on to the next challenge. So a lot of times you'll have teams that are responsible for bringing new technology into an organization just to prove that it can work. Proving something can work doesn't create value. You've got to really be measuring what that outcome is. You have to understand what business value that creates, and you have to do it quickly. Budget overruns, brick devices, data breaches, building connected products is hard. Welcome to Over the Air, sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. I'm your host, Ryan Prosser. Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and the Journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Vary, and today we're joined by Kiva Allgood, President and CEO of Sarcos, and we're going to be talking about the workforce of the future and IoT's role in it. Kiva, thanks for being on the show. Ryan, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Cool. So, all right, first things first, for those that don't know, Sarcos, give us a little background. What do you guys got going on? Yeah, Sarcos. We are uh, a robotics company, and uh, you know, luckily we're we've got about a thirty-year heritage of building and deploying robots out in the sphere. We started out as an R and D organization and have transitioned into a product organization. Our two flagship products are the Guardian XO and Guardian XT. The Guardian XO is an exoskeleton and powers and enables people to lift more than they can without it. And the XT really provides human-like dexterity. We've also just uh, acquired a company called RE Squared, and that brought four additional products to our portfolio, which we're really excited about. Subsea, operating room, and then uh, an arm called the Sapient, which uh, really allows for human dexterity in an unstructured environment. So our core capability is bringing robotics into spaces they haven't been yet. One of the things I love about your background is and I see this represented at Sarcos, uh, like a business pragmatism meets like bleeding edge, I guess what I would call development. So, I mean, this is the type of stuff we're seeing represented in movies. You know, the things you guys are doing at Sarcos with this exoskeleton work, super cool. But I know that you have this kind of like dyed in the wool passion for business pragmatism. Let's only develop and innovate in areas where we're able to provide business value. Can you talk a little bit about like what you bring to the table? I know you're a relatively new CEO. It seems like a really strong fit between both you and Sarcos having passion in that area. What does that look like? And I don't know, can you expand on that a little bit? Oh, you bet. I've spent my career really solving business problems. I started out as an IT consultant and that's, that was, hey, can you help us do this more efficiently, more effectively, right when that was the start of IT really. And bringing that practical capability, robots are cool. They're fun. And if you think about just the transition that we've seen in the last decade in the core capabilities and technologies, you know, what we used to be able to do would be a million dollars. And now it's actually at a cost point because we've seen sensor prices, battery prices, component prices, technology as a whole really come down. And what that means is we can now deploy robots in spaces and places they haven't been before at a cost that creates a return on value for our partners and customers. 
we have to stay laser focused on what's the problem statement. The biggest problem statement we're addressing is the fact you have an aging workforce. Skilled labor is really, really hard to find. So a lot of the partners we work with, their biggest issue is they can't get enough people. And, you know, as you start to see and really think about what their businesses are, whether that's a port, whether that's a construction site, whether that's a utility, they need people to perform those tasks. Because unlike a factory floor, every single time you go to remove vegetation from a power line, it looks different, which means you need that human intuition and human um, capability. And we build robots that perform like humans and they're assisted by humans. And that's really a differentiator for us. But the trick there is it's not just cool technology for technology's sake. We've solved some of the, I'd say, very, very complex problems that are around making a robot act and perform like a human. But the most important piece is that now they can sit beside a human and create value. And that is either by keeping employees out of harm's way, that is by actually performing the task because they can't find a human to perform it. And that's also creating new business models and service models for a lot of the industrial partners that we work with. So that's keeping planes in the air because you can put a robot on the tarmac when there's lightning out, but you can't put a human. So I think we've really stayed very focused on the voice of the customer. What are the problem statements where our technology can lean in and really create value and momentum for our partners? For listeners out there that are asking themselves, I'm worried that the project I'm working on, the product that we're developing is cool, but not valuable, you know, or maybe it solves too small of a problem to really be commercially viable. What are some of the things, you know, you, you mentioned this consulting background, that's obviously near and dear to our heart here at Very. you know, we, we solve real practical business problems. I mean, we have to bring measurable business value to the table. So I get that. I understand that that resonates with me big time. What are some of the things you would advise that person to ask themselves as they're looking at the project they're on to kind of ascertain whether or not this thing is is going to drive big value or this is a neat thing that's maybe not going to do well in the marketplace? Yeah, I think that's what's plagued IoT in, in general. I mean, IoT is a very umbrella word, Internet of Everything, Internet of Things. It To me, it's just the natural transition of an upgrade that needs to occur in the industrial landscape. So if you think about what's happened on the consumer side, handsets, that didn't exist, right? And so that a 10-year lift. There's been factories on the ground since the beginning of time. And so I think there, and a factory can be a, an apple orchard, right? And people are picking it. So I think you go and you have people and companies that have put billions of dollars into a way of doing things. And that's ingrained into the people who are performing those tasks. As a former master black belt, the number one thing I always recommend to folks is what are to really look at the data. So understand where are you wasting money? And if you can't answer the question of will this technology or process improvement help me make money, save money, or come up with a new business model, move on to the next challenge. So a lot of times you'll have teams that are responsible for bringing new technology into an organization just to prove that it can work. Proving something can work doesn't create value. You've got to really be measuring what that outcome is. You have to understand what business value that creates, and you have to do it quickly. So a lot of times we'll see folks that take a year to try and test something. That's too long. You need to be more agile and more quickly to say, let me just see if I can test this new process out. And by getting additional signals, for example, in IoT, if I can increase the, the data frequency out of a, a, a process, 
will I be able to act and perform a different task? Will I be able to shut something off? Will I be able to change the way we work? If you're not thinking about that full cycle and you're only focused on, can I get this widget or sensor to pick up information? You'll fail because the, whether or not the widget sensor or IOT device can do something isn't the measure of success or outcome that you want. The outcome you want is to either change a behavior or create a new behavior or be able to me measure a difference. So start with the data, understand where those pain points are today, understand where you're spending and losing money and make sure that the technology is addressing those. I have a, a follow-up and this might live more naturally under my next question, which is going to be one I ask every guest about the wrong side of impossible, but the videos on your website are amazing. Yeah. And if you've never been to Sarcosis website to see what they're up to, it's, it's incredible. It's really incredible. I mean, the videos, just incredible stuff. And it strikes me, you know, as a person that lives in tech, the power consumption of your product is amazing. And I look at it and I'm like, God, is, are, are the state, and I don't see wires, you know, so, and, and I don't see exhaust. So it feels like this is energy storage. It feels like this is battery. And so I hear you talking about value through the lens of, are you generating money? Are you saving money? Or I think your third category was like, are you unlocking the next thing was kind of broadly what, what it was. Talk about the evolution. First of all, I guess the first question is, am I correct that you guys are utilizing energy storage pretty heavily in your core product? And two, I don't think that was always the case in robotics. It seemed like there was a lot, a big reliance on hardwire in the early days. Now you're starting to see energy storage. Is that that third category where you're maybe decades ago, years ago, investing in understanding battery to be able to get to this moment? You know, because you were saying hardwired, is good enough for now, but to really unlock the business value, we're going to have to be totally cordless. I'm sure that's not the words you guys use, but can you talk about the the energy piece of this and, and what that might have looked like through this value lens? It's part of also what I get excited about. So if you think about the transformation of the automobile, right, and the chassis and how many parts it used to have and how many parts it has today, you've seen this just huge leap. We've seen the same thing in robotics. Uh, so we, I mean, our, our original products, those were all hydraulic. And in the end, those there's hydraulic, hydraulic robots today on a lot of factory floors. We've really pushed the envelope to move beyond hydraulic and to get to electric. And the electrification of the robot is a key, I'd say, um, tipping point for us. So the price curve we use off the shelf um, batteries, they're hot swappable. Depending upon the task you're performing, whether you're doing a heavy lift, whether you're riveting, those all consume a different amount of electricity. But we have the capability to go into those domains and places where um, robots in the past couldn't, right? Because they were permanently mounted to something and they drew way too much and they had to be stationary. We're now going into unstructured environments and we're really targeting all of our products are human form. And again, they have the human-like dexterity, human-like kinematics. And why is that important? Well, because factory floors, because buildings become tasks, were designed for the human form, right? We're humans. So when we figure out, okay, what's going to be the operating procedure for doing an inspection on this pipe or for, you know, doing vegetation removal, we've done that understanding that this is the human form. 
So the quickest way for us to scale and get adoption was to mimic what that looked like, right? And then I think this is the aha. This is that next wrong side of impossible that we're super focused on and I'm very excited about. And that's bringing autonomy. So now we're at the point where we can bring in machine learning and AI and say, the human is smart enough to know that when it gets to the side of a ship, it wants the robot to perform this task. It shows it what to do. And then it can say, all right, now do it. And the robot goes ahead and continues to do that exact same task. It was just you know, taught to do. And that's really a, a big focus for us on a go forward. We have two formal projects and programs around that, our CITAR pro- project and Detect and Elect. So these are solutions and systems that we're, we're working on right now, testing and deploying with key partners. That's the evolution of where we go. And again, I would, I would draw the parallel to what we've seen in the automobile as far as autonomous driving and sensing. We're taking advantage of a lot of the price curve and cost and I would say power consumption capability that we've seen in that vertical and applying that into the robotic space. Super, you know, exciting because it's a system. It means we've got a lot of stuff coming together and just like a vehicle, just like a car. And we're doubling down on making sure that it's just as intelligent. So you set me up for my next question perfectly. In fact, I'm not even sure I have to be here. Wrong side of impossible. So Sarcos has been around since 83, I believe, which makes you guys, as the kids would say, OGs in this space a little bit. Talk about, and maybe back, like looking backwards. Prefer to be a goat. I'd prefer to be a a goat than an OG, but we'll we'll just go with that. (laughs) Okay. You guys are the goats of the robotics space. Talk to me about Wrong Side of Impossible. You know, what are some of the things that you could take us all the way back to 83 or as far as is relevant, but what are some of the things, and for the audience, and we're going to get to this here in a moment, Kiva is a relatively new CEO. uh, So a lot of this uh, history she will have seen from being in the close orbit of Sarcos, but not as the CEO. What are some of the things that Sarcos needed to solve for? To I talk about wrong side of impossible. The audience will be familiar with this concept of it is currently an unsolved problem that you guys need to solve in order for your, your business model to be viable or for this uh, value prop to be viable. What were some things that Sarcos needed to solve over the years to bring from the wrong side to the right side of impossible. And can you give us a look forward for in the next couple of years, some things that Kiva saying, look, we got to bring this from wrong side to right side of impossible if Sarcos is going to be a leader for the next 40 years. Yeah, obviously cost, weight, power ratio, uh, and, and the ability to balance across all three of those was super critical. And like I said, we've been able to really glean the benefit of what's happened in the automotive in- industry to our advantage. You know, lithium ion b- battery capability, cost, charge, that's all the advancement there. So that's one. The second is the kinematic equivalence, uh, the ability to have a robot that can perform like a human, that has the dexterity, that understands. We, as I mentioned, we just did an acquisition of a, c- a company called RE Squared in Pittsburgh. And as part of our uh, a gift for them, we had our XT product write out their logo. The ability for a robot to write, not break, not squeeze so hard, not destroy the pen, not destroy the surface underneath it, that's a huge advancement. That means the robot understands how hard he's writing or she's writing, actually, XT is a she. And they have that force feedback, which is really important when you're performing industrial tasks. If you're drilling, you can't just push right through through the wall, right? You have to know when you've hit that point. 
So that has been, you know, the ability to get there has been the culmination after we, we solved a lot of the cost, weight, power ratio issues. We then had to solve the, okay, how do we make this as humanly kinematically equivalent as we possibly can? And really focused on the hand, the dexterity, the capability to fit through a door and bringing all those components into a, a size that actually makes it attractive. I'd say the next leap for us is what I talked about a little earlier is enabling the robot to do a lot of these tasks autonomously and to set them free. So now you've got a, a fleet of robots and you have got a, a robot operator and his job or her job every single day is to come to work and put those robots to task, to teach them, to show them what they need to do in those unstructured environments. And that is a lot of different technology coming in together. That is complex. Those are problem statements that have not been solved today. So if you think about the advancement of controls, control systems, the advancement of machine learning, and ultimately that creates a digital twin. And that digital twin is going to be, you know, a huge component for us. So that's the next nirvana aha is really the ability to get to that state autonomy state, have that digital twin. So if you think about all the safety requirements, OSHA requirements, things at those tasks that are at height that are being performed, we'll have a measure of that performance. We'll have an understanding. We'll be able to take a video of what that, that bridge used to look like. And then when you go back to the next time, you'll be able to see if it's changed at all. So those are things that are, are capabilities that are going to be really important to our future. And they're um, not impossible today, but they're very, very difficult. I have a follow-up uh, curveball question, but wrong side of impossible in space. What do you think as you look at things that are, you know, as an engineer, like some of the most interesting problems are happening, you know, outside of, of Earth? And, and you've got, uh, for example, Elon Musk's mission to Mars. Are there things that you look at as, you know, let's call them 2030 initiatives that you're like, listen, I'd like this company to be a part of this story that I see playing out in the next, de you know, not this decade, start in the 2030s that you're, you know, are a little bit farther afield. Yeah, I mean, definitely space and subsea. So we have a subsea product. I mean, that's the unexplored space as well. And a lot of infrastructure and enhancements are going to be made in the ocean. So definitely of interest. And to get to that, you have to be able to, you have to have something that you can submerge underneath the water that can withstand the pressure. And a lot of those use cases and I'd say deep technical problem statements are the same as they are in space. So if you think about the ability to do refueling remotely, we have an on-ground refueling capability. It's autonomous. That can be deployed in space. So yeah, there's not a, a you know, if you think about any job where it's dangerous for a human to do that task, that's where we want to be. And why? Because there's no reason to put humans in harm's way when you can have a robot who has that human-like dexterity to perform the task. Space isn't included that. Subsea is definitely included in that. We have products there today. My next question, uh, this probably should, if I was even a halfway decent interviewer, would have been the first question to tee up all the ones that followed. <laughs> I want to ask about your background. You have such an interesting background. I think audience uh, members that are will have looked at you on LinkedIn before listening to the episode may have a similar thought that Kiva has come up through this very impressive engineering background, a lot of big companies that they will have heard of. And But this is your first, I believe, first go-round as CEO. What were some of the 
number one, as you looked at what was next for you and you concluded you wanted to lead a company, what were some, I'm curious what some of the take, the things you were feeling at that time that said, you know what, I'm ready to lead. And two, once you'd made that conclusion, what were some of the business problems or engineering problems or problems of any sort, I suppose, that you were really excited to go find because you wanted to be a part of solving those. It's one of the things I hear from CEOs all the time is they are hammers in search of just the right kind of nail that is interesting to them. What was the type of nail that you were searching for in terms of a business engineering problem that you really wanted to be a part of solving? That's a great analogy. I haven't heard the question asked that way. I, I, you know, Again, I, I have had the opportunity throughout my entire career, I've been given a problem, typically problem statements. Oh, well, let's put Kiva on it because she'll figure out a way to come out the other end with a positive. I had a job once and it was uh, developing an online banking platform. And the CEO for the bank at the time was like, no one's ever going to bank online. Like, why would you waste your time on that? And I I reflect on that from the standpoint of, in his mind, he genuinely believed that because people have been doing banking a certain way. And it was always a personal touch. Fast forward now, I mean, most people don't walk into a bank at all and they prefer not to. And I just returned from uh, two years in Sweden and you can't get cash and you use this wonderful thing called Swish and you don't go into the bank really for any purpose whatsoever. So industries are transforming based off of a backbone that has started with the internet and then it moved to mobile. That backbone means that you have to have visionaries who can see that people's behavior will change and the adoption will occur. And that's where I've always thrived is finding opportunities and projects that stretch the imagination that really come up with new business innovation. But I've also had the privilege of um, having very deep operational roles. So, you know, managing thousands of people that are uh, running a, a knock and a service and have commitments to customers on a daily basis. And I love bringing those two things together. So for me, my nail was a company that had a blend of both of those. And I was privileged enough to be part of GE Ventures when they made an investment in Sarcos and had uh, met the senior leadership team, spent a lot of time and had been tracking and staying connected. So when I returned from Europe, I really sat back and said, what is it that I want to do next? I'm on a couple public boards and I could have taken that route. But in the end, what I love the most is growing, developing and scaling. So I was looking for that really good combination of technical challenge, hard thing to solve with business innovation. And we are selling our products as robot as a service. We will also have software as a service, and we will also have robots and platforms to sell and full solutions to sell. And it was the combination of all of that deep tech mixed with business model innovation and a senior leadership team and board that I would be happy to spend the weekend with. So my number one priority was finding like-minded folks that are good souls, right? And that are good people that put people first. And that's how I interviewed. Um, I had a lot of different opportunities. And for me, it was finding one where there was full alignment across the board at the senior leadership level, at all the investors level, that the outcome that everybody was looking for was the same. You weren't looking, you didn't have investors who were looking to leave in three years or looking to do X, Y, or Z versus, no, everyone's fully invested in scaling, commercializing, and getting the products out and dedicated to the mission of preventing injury with, uh, with skilled labor. So I, I think I waited and I, I put the time in and um, was lucky enough to find that right now. 
Yeah, what an amazing story. And a lot of it just resonates so much with me. I, I remember in 2017, I was looking for a role myself, you know, and I really felt like I was ready to take the leap, be a CEO. And I was comparing two opportunities. I was consulting with both companies at the time. And I, I said to my wife, we lived in San Francisco and one of the companies was uh, in California, locally to us, and one was remote. You talk about online banking, remote companies in 2017, this was a totally foreign concept. It was not a foregone. Look at us now. Yeah, look at us now. Thanks, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and I said to my wife, who I really trust and, and look to for guidance in, in hard times, I said, I, I think I'm going to go with the local company. You know, this remote thing sounds a little bit hokey. I don't know that the world is ready for remote engineering. And she said, I think you're wrong. And you laugh more with the other company, the other company being the company I'm with, very, you know, you, you get on the phone with the leadership and it, I can just hear in your voice that you're having a good time. You'll figure out everything else. But if you're having a good time, the, the, you know, the hard pieces will fall into place, but you can never go backwards and replicate enjoying a certain group's company. And I think, I bet that's something that most people overlook. They think, ah, it's work, not a big deal, but shoot, man, this is something you spend 50, 60, hours a week doing every week for years, it's nice to like who you're in the foxhole with. It is. And I think it's a more important variable. Great advice by your wife. I mean, I do think my husband, I wouldn't be where I am today as a working mom, sister, wife, been married almost 30 years. Congratulations. Thank you. If you know he, he wasn't part of that journey and he hadn't dedicated a, a big portion of his life to staying home with our kids and, and making sure they, they are respectful, good humans. And so I think when you have that, the ability to lean on your your significant other in that way, uh, they know you better. And so listening to them at those critical points, well, they, I don't know if they know you better, but at least they're more realistic about who you are. <laughs> and uh, so I think the laughing pizza is important. And, you know, a CEO role isn't for everybody. It's a job that comes with a lot of critical decisions. Often you're disappointing somebody with whatever that decision happens to be. And you have to set that pace and you have to be the inspiration for the rest of the organization to be a good person. And so I've had, you know, the, the, I think if you added up over the years, probably over 30 bosses, some were great humans, some were not. And I made a vow to myself that uh, I was always going to be somebody people wanted to partner with and work with and learn from, and that I was going to learn from everybody, regardless of what their role was. And I've learned a lot of lessons, really good ones, from people on the factory floor. From I ran a call center once. That was very eye-opening and enlightening. And so everybody contributes, period. It doesn't matter what their title is. You know, I don't want to pick on McDonald's here. Uh, they have been an early adopter of IoT, and we admire them. But I do believe a big part of working at McDonald's is so that you know what you don't want to do with the rest of your life. You know, there's a, there's value in uh, some of these things that you, you learn are not for you. <laughs> and, you know, being a CEO, it really does come down to these difficult decisions and being comfortable with them. And I think that's something that, that I've experienced is not is not for everyone. I do want to say to the audience, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, this is that Kiva is the first female guest we've had on the show. I want to thank you for coming on. And I wonder, any message out there, We uh, Reese, our producer, tells me we have a vanishingly small female audience. We'd like to change that. Any message out there to uh, young women that are asking themselves whether or not they have what it takes to lead at the top? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's go for it. 
don't even question. I mean, I think in the end, you do have what it takes. And I think women overthink their capability. And I see this on a daily basis with uh, candidates and folks that are, you know, seeking a role. They go through the list and they, they try and check it all off. If you're passionate about it, like your wife said to you, everything else will work itself out. You can do it. And uh, find that mentor, find that friend. I say for the men out there, equally as important, if not more so, the number of times I've had to remind gentlemen, it's their responsibility as well. You lift that lady up and, and you say you can and you lean into it. And when a guy talks over a, a woman in a meeting, point it out to him, right? Because that's the hard part often is you will be the sole lady in a room and you don't want to be the lady who's constantly saying, you just talked over me or you just did this. And I think the more present the men are in that conversation, the more we'll, we'll get to what I call the most important thing is your perspective quotient. And that's not your IQ, not your EQ. It's having a group of people that bring multiple perspectives to the discussion. And typically that does mean you have different genders. It means you have different backgrounds. It means you have different educational components. And the more perspective you can bring to a dialogue, the better the outcome. Yeah, no, we've experienced that at various strong agree. And I th- we would love to take you up on the offer of some intros. We'd love to to broaden the uh, perspectives that we're bringing to our audience. I'm going to transition us now. I want to get a couple of quick hits out of you before we cut you loose. First, you know, to close up Sarcos, give us a look ahead, 30 seconds on what our audience, so we're going to air this episode in a few weeks, uh, still be in the month of June. What are some things that uh, listeners can expect to see out of Sarcos in the second half of the year or 2023? Yeah, commercializing product. So getting product out the door, getting it in customers' hands, really starting to learn. We're going to go through that verification and validation phase. So that I'd say that's priority number one. And then priority number two is really expanding our autonomy and our detective intellect portfolio. So you know, for us, the, the ability to really push the envelope there. And I'd say be the GOAT in that regard is going to be a big focus for us going into 2023. Second question, broadening from just Sarcos, I love to ask guests this, especially folks that have been in IoT for a little while. Who out there is doing great work in the space, IIoT, consumer IoT, whatever, define it as you will, that you think more people should be talking about? Yeah, there's a company out of Cincinnati called Lassance, and uh, they are doing an amazing job of enabling companies to, you know, really integrate into their current system. So it's a kind of plug and play platform that allows you to build apps. It's got some great training and they demystify IoT. And to me, that's super important. It doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be overly. Right now, my view is the fact that typically you have to talk to five different people to get a single project done makes it more difficult than it necessarily needs to. And Lasant has done an amazing job. It's got a leadership team that understands the space and is there to solve problems. So they've impressed me in the past. And on the robotic side, I'd say Picnic. Again, you know, it's a it's an investment in open source, an investment in an industry that, in my opinion, is going to really set things apart. All right. You heard it here first. And Kiva, last question for folks that, you know, we're at the end of the episode. They love the story. They want to keep up with you personally. Where's a great place for someone to be able to follow along with you? 
LinkedIn, you know, again, Kiva, all good on LinkedIn. So also, you know, follow Sarcos Robotics. So those are the two places I post there frequently and love to hear from you. Nobody ever says TikTok. <laughs> no TikTok. <laughs> I'm not cool enough for TikTok. I'm a little too old for that one. Oh, you and me both. Same. Kiva, thank you so much for being on the show today. Ryan, thank you. I appreciate uh, you letting me into your home. And thanks to all of you for listening. Join us next time as we meet with another IoT executive and talk about what went wrong on a journey that went right. Over the Air is brought to you by Very. To find out more about us, head over to verypossible.com and make sure to search for Over the Air and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Very, thanks for listening.